All right, Romans chapter number 8, if you will. Romans chapter 8, we're down now in verse number 31. So let's start reading here at verse uh, 31. And uh, we are going to begin the last section here of the second section. So Romans 8, 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that com uh, condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, I'm sorry, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, that's the concluding section here to the last, to the second section. First section was the first five chapters of Romans. The second section is chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're going to get into the third section, chapters 9 through 11 in about a year. And then we're going to get into the last section, uh, chapters 12 to 16. I just want to see if you're paying attention when I said a year, okay? Uh, it won't be that long, but we're not going to get through the whole of it today, uh, obviously. Actually, this morning, we're just going to kind of do an overview of, the, of, of this uh, 31 to 39, this concluding section here, uh, and just kind of get uh, an idea, and then next week we'll get into some of the details, and we'll get as far as we can this morning time allowed. There are seven specific questions that Paul asks here uh, in this section. And these questions are more designed than more to, you know, when you ask questions as a teacher and you begin to ask questions, you're, you're trying to provoke thought. You're trying to see where everybody's at uh, understanding-wise and, uh, you know, re retaining the information, but also to provoke thought. And really, there's all, more, more than that is what Paul is after here. He's trying to finalize, crystallize, put down into our thinking the, the proper perspective that we are to have concerning the details of life here on planet Earth. If you go back up into verse 18. So the questions here are more than a, they're not a pop quiz. You know how you hated those. Pop quiz, oh man, really? Forgot to read the chapter, you know? In my economics class in college, uh, the book, at the end of each chapter, the book had five questions to ask about the chapter. Well, those five questions were our pop quiz questions, okay? Problem is, is we had six chapters to read every day, so we had 30 pop quiz questions, pop potential. Out of the 30, he picked five. So, what, you know what we study, don't you? 
the questions, not, we didn't read the chapter. We study, all right, what's the answer to that question? Quick, right? You know, so, you know, kids, anytime there's a rule or something put in, you watch man, we'll, they'll figure out how to skin it and get around it. And so that's what we did. But the, the thing is, is he, Paul is not asking these questions to pop quiz you, to test you. He's at, he asks questions really in his method of teaching to get you to think. But really, it's more than thinking here. Uh, you've are, he's already got you thinking. Now it's, hey, let's finalize this in our thinking. Let's, uh, the word crystallize is, is, what the wor- is what he's doing here. Let's get it down into the details. In verse 18, here's the context. And we've been talking about this now for, for some, some time. For I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And what Paul is doing here is he's equipping the believer with some very specific doctrine so that we don't start comparing the present suffering with the eternal glory that God has prepared for us and provided for us and equipped for us to enjoy. And when you think about comparing, uh, I, I was thinking about that, how do you... You know, oh, I would never compare. Yes, you would. And when he talks about comparing, it's the idea of the, the, the present stuff that we're going through becomes our focus. And that becomes more important. And we begin to focus in on what's happening physically and not focusing in on the, our true reality, the future glory. You follow that? See, you start, you start, you stay over here, and you never get where you're, where you need to be. And Paul is stressing the value we're to have in that promised future, that future hope that we have. And he's, I think about Esau. You remember, you know, Esau and Jacob. Esau's birthright. Do you know he gave that up for a bowl of of beans and lentil. Do you know why? Because in the moment, he was hungry. In the moment, he was stressed. He, he thought he was going to die. And he, so in the moment, instead of thinking about his birthright and that future benefit that he had coming as firstborn, he gave that future benefit up for a bowl of beans right now. Paul's like, don't give up that future benefit for just a bowl of beans right now. Because what happens when you're done with the bowl of beans? Well, usually you get gas, but that's not for to say, okay? You know? But then it's only for the moment with that future benefit. Jacob had that future benefit for eternity. That's what Paul's getting at here. The circumstances, the situations of life are not the issue. I said this one time years ago. I said, you know, God doesn't care whether you're happy or not. He doesn't. You're not the issue. The issue is life in Christ. That's the issue. The issue is the future. What's he doing? That's why here in chapter 8, he just, we just got done looking at verse 28 there, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 
and that issue of his eternal purpose, and, and God has promised us a role in that purpose, in his purpose. So no matter what comes up and ha happens in life, it isn't going to stop or thwart or mess up or change or derail or do anything to his purpose. It's going to happen. So here we are, focusing in on what's going on in life, rather than keeping his purpose in the forefront of our thinking. So, verse 31, he asks a question. What shall we then say to these things? That's a great question. Do you believe that you are called according to, you are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe you have a hope? Do you believe you have that? Do you believe you have a helper in the Holy Spirit? Do you, do, well, then, if you complete, do you completely trust what God has provided for you, even though you don't experience it right now? See, that's the issue. Because what we experience right now is the body of corruption. So your thinking is right here. I got new glasses. Everybody's looking at them, right? You know, I didn't even pay attention to Drew Carey. Somebody asked me, and it's like, no, I just, actually, they, I like the way they look, and they give me more lens room <laughs> so I can see better. So that's what you look like. I'm sorry. So, you know. <laughs> Somebody caught on to that, okay, yeah. I was watching a guy the other day, and somebody asked me, I haven't been telling a lot of jokes lately, so I was watching a guy on, on Facebook, and uh, um, he, he says, yeah, I took my wife out. She wanted to go eat at this place where they make the food in front of you, so I took her to Subway. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there you go. All right, anyway, that, that's better than, you know, anyway. Where were we? It's telling the jokes. Yeah. I got a couple more, but we'll save them for another time. So you go to the, you go to the eye doctor, and what do they tell you? You got to have glasses. So now you get, what's going on? In the moment, what are you thinking about? I can't see. I got to have this. So what do you do? It's a light affliction. It's but for a moment, and you get it done. It doesn't consume. Now, for some of you, that consumes you. It does. It, and it's just something simple as eyeglasses. It will consume you. So as it consumes you, what are you not thinking about? Who you are in Christ. As this, so the details of life... Do you completely, what do you, what do, what shall we then say to these things? How do you respond to, to it? How do you react to the present suffering? It's not to be compared. Suffering's up here, glory's down. It's that eternal weight of glory. That's why God's does, God will never heal you. He will never violate your opportunity to have an eternal weight of glory moment. He just won't do it. it does. So then why do you compare it? What do you say? How do you react? How do you respond? And that's what Paul's trying to get final, crystallized down into our thinking. 
how do you think about this? Okay? We get up, you go through day to day, you do your, you know, your life. How do you think about it? Then the second question in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, that's a verse that everybody pulls out of the hat right in the middle of the trouble. And really, the answer to verse number two, who, who can be against you? Well, can someone be against you? And can somebody, yeah, it's a yes and no answer to that question, actually. So the question is not a question of, you know, it's, it's, it's a question of, hey, there's something more going on than just your suffering. There's something happening behind the scene. And when we get into this next week specifically, we'll find out that there is a very real adversary. And he's got ministers. And he's got attacks and tactics to come up against you. There are three people against you. If God be for us, who can be against us? There's three people that are against you. One is the adversary, Satan. Two's his ministers. Three is you. You're against yourself. Why? I'm over here focusing in on this rather than focusing in on where I should be focusing. I've allowed the, I have allowed the life to distract my thinking. I failed to view, to think about life the way God would have me think about and view life. And you know what begins to happen? You then begin to stand against yourself. Look over at uh, 2 Timothy uh, 2, I believe it is. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. And look at verse 25. Verse 24. Well, shoot. Verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness, instructing those that, notice that, what? Oppose themselves. There you are. What are you doing? You're opposing yourself. So you, you stand against yourself. So when he says... If God be for us, who can be against us? He's not, talk, he, he's, he's not saying nobody's out there against you. Rather, there's something else going on that we need to be very aware of. And we need to be very careful in that understanding of who is against us. Go back to Romans 8. So, you know, this first set of questions here, verse 31, what is it that, what, what's going to get you through the, your thinking? What's going to, what's going what to, what shall we then say to these things? What's going to get you through your thinking? Look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What's going to get you think through what what's gonna get you what's gonna sustain you there's the word sustain you what's gonna move you what's gonna motivate you what's gonna keep you really where you need to be and verse 37 is the ultimate conclusion I know everybody thinks verse 39 is the end of it there not uh, 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is it. So that can't be separated. That's not the conclusion. The conclusion is verse 37. You are what? A more than conqueror. See, he's going to end the section on victory. We'll talk about that in just a second here. So he's, he's after something in your thinking. So the questions here are designed to crystallize what is in your thinking. It's also designed to prevent us from comparing the suffering with the glory. My dad always said, talking about, if talking about your problems fixed your problems, nobody would have any problems. Because when you're talking about your problems, what are you focused in on? Your problems, and what are you not paying attention to? The real answer, Christ. And the riches of his glory, the riches of his, gr- his grace. So how do you, how do you respond? How do you re- react to the suffering? How do I reconcile the now with the future promise that God has given me? How do I do that? Well, we're to trust the word of God to us about our future. We're, we're to have a walk of faith. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. I, we don't, I don't want to take you back over there. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Present times, light affliction. It's not worthy to be compared. But in verse 18 is we don't walk after the things that are seen. The things that are seen are temporal and the things that are not seen are eternal. That's pieces of those verses. That's who we do. Now, here in the here I gotta remind myself we're doing an overview this morning. <laughs> Notice verse number 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? You see the who? Four times Paul brings up who. So it's a real enemy. And it's it's an enemy that's going to be there. And the enemy can win and defeat you. If you look there at verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Notice that, the who. The enemy's real. And the enemy can win. Now, the question is, should the enemy be able to win? And the answer is no. The enemy should never be able to win. But what happens? The point is, is the enemy should never win as long as what are we doing? We have our thinking in the right position. Who? It's an owl. Who, who, who? Okay, paying attention here. And what we'll find out is that there's a very specific satanic attack that he uses to get us to stop believing what God has told us about our future. And there are some tactics that he is going to use to consume your thinking so that you won't turn and pay attention to what's going on. Okay? One of those tactics, I'll just tell you right now, is when we get over here, uh, real quick, we kind of jump ahead a little bit. Look over at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. And I've seen this happen. 
That's why uh, you kind of have to be aware of it. Look at Ephesians 1. You see verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. You see the all things there? The all things have a context, and that's that issue of the, of the governmental structure of the heaven and the earth, the governmental structure of the universe, okay? If you look down there at verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, those positions, Colossians 1, we'll look at it later if we have time. I know we will next hour. Those positions, thrones, dominions. And you know what? Get said about that. You don't need to know that. Don't worry about that. You don't need to pay attention to that. That isn't government. That's just metaphors that are used to paint a picture. So now we're going to allegorize the Bible. But only in these places, though. Okay? Because what, what the preacher doesn't want to do is say that there's what? Structure. You hear him talk about the judgment seat of Christ. That's nothing. Don't worry about it. It is something. It's in the book for a reason. It's only talked about by Paul to you and I for a reason. Oh, don't worry about that. You don't need to worry about it. Excuse me? That's my future. You're to know every detail about your future. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4, the, 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 the rapture chapter, as they like to call it, has all of that information alluded to it. Why? Because you're moving at the twinkling of an eye. You don't have time to say, hang on a minute, let me Google that. Or wait a minute, let me watch YouTube. You don't, you're to know this. It's to be an integral part. Oh, don't worry about it. You don't need to worry about that. Now, I'm using this as an illustration, okay, because I've seen this. It's a tactic by Satan to get you to not think about your future. I had a guy one time tell me, oh, Rick, you know, uh, go back to Romans 8. You guys preach that judgment seat of Christ stuff and all those governmental ranks, and all you're doing is preaching pride. And I said, you have no idea then what the wood, hay, and stubble is a reference to when you're, when you're, when you're, when your activities are put through the fire. Because pride is the number one deadly sin, isn't it? <laughs> and what's the first thing that's going to go up in the smoke? Is whatever pride thing you've built into your life. So if I built into my life that I'm my pride, guess what's going to happen when he turns on the flame? <laughs> it's going to go. So, that's, so pride isn't the issue. Because the inner man, the, the judgment is going to take care of that. You, okay? I'm kind of getting ahead of like three studies here. But this is the tactic that gets used. Don't, don't worry. A principality, prince, top reigning official. You, you, know, you know how you know that? Look it up in a dictionary. Why does the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, have the Apostle Paul write that down there? So you and I could understand what's going on here. You got, okay? What's the tactic? Who's against us? Hey, what could you, Satan will use it to cause you not to think about your future. 
and not to think about the fact that what you do right now impacts that future. Oh, but Rick, you're just telling people they gotta, one's going to have a higher reign than the other. I didn't, I ain't telling you, I'm just telling you what the verses are teaching. <laughs> well, that, how do I get there? Well, it's a wonderful little thing called building into, onto, into your inner man, gold, silver, and precious stone, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. How about that? Build that into your inner man. Then guess what will happen? Well, when the judge gets you, which is, by the way, the Lord, 1 Corinthians 4, that end of that verse in 1 Corinthians 4 says that all men will have praise of God. doesn't say some are left out and some are here, some are demoted, some are promoted. It says what? All men will have praise of God. So when you see that, why, why is that? Well, that's what Paul's dealing with here. He's dealing with the called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Ephesians 1.10. Put that governmental universe, government of the universe back under the headship of the Lord. Using the church, the body of Christ in the heavens. Using Israel on the earth. You guys with me? I didn't lose you, did I? I hope not. You got you This stuff is critical. This stuff should not be pushed away to be talked about and just when it's time to talk about a con- controversy. This stuff ought to be preached every Sunday. Why? Because what you do in time, building into your inner man, good or bad, it's going to go through a review process. The greatest thing that you need to understand, we'll talk about this next hour as we begin to talk about creation, is that the battle that's raging in Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, all down through time, is whose throne is going to rule over the universe. Is it going to be the adversary's throne? Or is it going to be God the Son? That's why it's a wisdom battle. Not a might battle. What would God have to do? Just speak it and Satan's, he's angel dust. (laughs) Okay? Right? It's not about might. It's about wisdom. Whose wisdom is going to rule the day? So he says, who? Hey, God's telling us about our future. Who are you going to let distract you? Well, The adversary knows he can't get you out of Christ, but he sure can get you to do what? Not pay attention to your future. Well, I I don't want to rock the boat. Rock the boat, baby. Come on. That's because it's it's that critical. Are you back in Romans 8? Please be. 31. Second question. If God be for us, who can, be against, who can be against us? When he says, if God, can be, God, if God be for us, rah, 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 Alabama won yesterday. Woo, cheer, cheer, cheer. No, God's not a cheerleader. When he says, for us, he's not talking about God being a cheerleader. Rather, if you look at, look at verse 32, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Is that God for you? That's what he's talking about, is verse 32. When he says God's for you, 
He's not talking about God in your corner cheering you on, you know, rah, rah, re, kick him in the knee, rah, you know, and none of that. Rather, he's talking about God actively involved in your life through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he uses the word and he begins to teach us and and put into our inner man resources and provisions that he's given us. He's freely given us all things. He's for us in a supporting, in an equipping, in a training avenue and thought so that we can do what? So that we can achieve the next level of maturity. And so we, we're not focused in on this over here. I mean, you have to be because you've got to get through it, but it doesn't consume you. You guys understand that. You've seen people, maybe you've been consumed with something. It just consumes you. And you get up in the morning and that's all you can think about. You're taking your shower and you're cussing the guy out in the shower. He, nobody's in the shower but you. <laughs> it's just consumed you. And he says, no, God wants us to excel. He wants us to exceed, not just live life and have a life of hopelessness. He says, no, I want you to have a life of victory. I want you to have the very doctrine that you need to, that equips you to str- and that strengthens you, that sustains you, that comforts you, that will move you from right now to that way to glory out there. Sometimes you'll hear people say, God is for us, and you know, I've and they'll say, Well, see, God's given us everything. Well, has he? Sure. Acts he says, look at the seasons, look at the rain. He's a gracious God. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about, hey, he's He's given you, he's equipped you completely and totally with the word, working in your inner man, with the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit. You've got it. And what Paul's demonstrating here is that God is for us in the moments of suffering, but also in the future. And folks, he's fully vested in your future. It's his purpose. You and I participate in that. He has allowed us to be a part of it. And we need to rely on and trust his word. And we need to live in that victory, the victory of we can handle whatever comes. And we can, you know, get her done, as they say. We can deal with it. And it won't consume us. Compare. It allows us to have victory. Follow what Paul's doing. I hope you do. Victory. It's very fascinating. He ends each of the four sections in Romans on a victorious note. Look back at chapter 5. Just remind you. Look back at chapter 5. It's very fascinating as Paul works through this and as he gets us going here. Uh, Chapter 5, look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall what? Reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Reign in life. 
That's not a defeated life. That's a victorious life. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, we are to reign in what? In life. Not defeated. Not going, you know, <laughs> dad used to have a little saying, you know, you get that pouty bottom lip, you know, and it's, Lips hung so, so low he could, uh, anyway, I just, never, I'll just keep going. Chapter 8, <laughs> chapter 8, verse 37. He would say that if you didn't pick that bottom lip up, you'd trip over it and fall, you know, and uh, stuff along that line. It's, a, it's fascinating. We were out with dinner with some folks Friday night, and... Uh, we were talking about how we say things that our parents said when we said we would never say that. <laughs> and then as you get older, you sound just like them, you know, and uh, that is the case. 837, first section, reigning in life, not defeated, victorious. 837, nay, in all these things we are more than, what, conquerors through him that loved us. Victorious, victory, conquerors, not only do you... A more than conquer, though. Got to remember that. A conqueror is just someone who's defeated an enemy. A more than has turned everything to their benefit. In, in, in the Roman Empire, as it, in, in, in its middle of its history and its life, the Caesars finally figured out they were getting spread thin, army-wise. So they finally figured out that, look, when we take a city... Instead of occupying it militarily, let's make it a part of us and let's leave the government alone. They just got to pay taxes back to, to the capital. You ever hear of Paul of Tarsus and he says, I was a free man? Paul is a Jew. He's also a Gentile. But he's a free man because Tarsus was a a free city, but it was still part of the Roman Empire. You know, what, you know what Rome became? A more than conqueror. They said, look, we're going to win, but rather than make these people slaves and bring them all back here, let's just turn the situation to our benefit, greater benefit. And that's what they did. That's what you're going to do with the, with the suffering. By the way, in Romans 8 there, we're now in verse 37, 35 to 39. You're suffering because of your relationship and your connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, with who you are in Christ there. And you're going to turn that situation. Chapter 11. Look here in chapter 11. Great passage. Man, when we get into chapters 9, 10, and 11, the third section here on Israel, uh, we're going to knock your socks off on a few things. Because there's a lot of stupid things said about that, th those three passages. And I say it that way on purpose. Just plain stupid. Not ignorant. Stupid. And, and heretical. And dangerous. But look at, verse, look at chapter 11 and look at verse 33. Look at how he ends the section. Verse 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Just the, I can't do it like Paul wrote it. Just the, just the, 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 the pageantry of eternal victory. For of him and through him and to him, the last verse. It's eternal glory forever. There's where we stand. That's who's doing what's going on. The God of glory, there he is, the Son, the glory, the Father of glory is going to glorify His Son, and there He is. And you know what? You're in Him, man, and look at that. You're not Israel. You haven't been Israel since the day Israel was formed. You've never been Israel. Quit acting like it. Quit trying to be it. That's why I said there's a lot of stupid stuff, okay? This is who you are. You're in Him. Chapter 16, He ends the book. Again, he ends these sections on the high notes, victory plateaus, not down in the dumps going, oh, uh, he got you down in the dumps in chapter 6, 7, and 8. You know, first, he got you down in the dumps in chapter 1. He threw you in the court, said you're guilty. You deserve hell and the lake of fire. That's what you deserve. But my son's going to take your sentence for you. Whoa. Okay, what do I have to do? Nothing. Just trust him. Just believe him. Wow. Look at that. Then in 6, 7, and 8, he's got you down. In a, and he says, listen, in all of that, you're more than conqueror through him that loved you. There he is. Romans 16. Look at verse 20. He's concluding the book. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Whoa. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Boy, when we get to that doxology, he's going to do what? He, to Satan, he's going to bruise him under your feet shortly. Paul anticipated the end, of the church, end of the dispensation of grace rather quickly. He did not anticipate it going on for over 2,000 years. Okay? But there's, by the way, who can be against us? There's an adversary. You know where he took you? He took you back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And he says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have victory over the adversary because of his purpose in the heavenly places, and he's taking you and he's parking you up there. So what are you going to do? You're going to win the day. You're going to bruise. You're going to win the day. Notice it's a bruising, it's not an ultimate defeat, because what has to finish out here on planet Earth? Israel's prophetic program's got to finish out, but you're going to bruise him. You're going to kick him out. You know what you do when you bruise a snake? Usually they squirm away, because you didn't do what? You didn't finish the deal, but who's going to finish the deal? He's going to. Look at verse 27. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Boy, it's all on a high note here. So if we are consumed by him, 
if we're consumed by the here and now, you know what we're saying about our future? It's no big deal. It's nothing. If we're consumed and worried about right now, you know what we're telling that future? It's nothing. You know what, en again, what did Enoch say? I'm sorry, Esau say, I got the wrong dad. <laughs> what did Esau say? Just give me the bowl of beans, baby. I don't care about the future. If you're consumed with what's happening right now, you know what you're saying about the future? Don't care. Doesn't matter. I don't need to worry about it. No big deal. Because my situation, my circumstance is the priority. So we put the word of God aside. And we begin to compare. And we begin to put aside the truth. And we begin to put aside the issues of our future. And now ah, we don't need to worry about them. Ah, we don't need to know about that. I'm just worried about right now. Get me through the now, Rick. Give me a new doctrine, man. Give me now. And you know what? You're not where you're supposed to be. Go back to Romans 8. So Paul, again, what? Shall we then say to these things, what should be consuming your thinking? Who should be the center of your life, of your thinking, of your whole perspective? That's what the questions are designed to do, the seven of them. We've only gotten into the first one, <laughs> and the first two here. The specific truth that should grip your heart It, as those truths grip your thinking and grip your mind, and as you begin to work them through, you know what they do? It assures us about, it, 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 it crystallizes into us that proper perspective on the issue of suffering. It says, you know what? It isn't going to be compared to that over there. I got to go through it. And I, you know what? We know that all things work together for good. It's going to work. And it's going to produce something over here in me. Tribulation worketh. Light affliction, but for the moment, worketh far more. It works. Let's look. Hey, I got to go through it. It's going to work. But man, godliness is a promise of the life which now is and of that which is to come. That issue of godliness, godlikeness. Now, wait till we look at Adam a couple weeks where God says, Make man in our image. It's a representation of God. Now, you and I are made in Adam's image, we've been marred. But Adam and Eve weren't. They were made in hot stuff right there. Okay? Godlike. Right there. There they were. That's what our future is going to look like. That thing over there in Philippians 3, and he says he's going to take this vile body and fashion it like unto his glorious body. That's more than just being able to go through houses and up and down and all over. That's that glorified, Ephesians 5 over there, he talks about the church without spot and blemish. You, you know that verse? Uh, you got to look over there, right in the middle of talking about to the husbands. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 27. 
Ephesians 5, verse 27, that he might present it, and that'll be the church. That's who he's talking about there. Coming out of verse 27, as Christ also loved the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church. Verse 27, that he might present it, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, but that it should be holy and, notice that, without blemish. That's why those details of, the, of, of like the judgment seat and all that and the meeting in the air and all that stuff are so important because what's coming out on the other side, man, is that hot stuff right there. See? All right, go back to Roman. And Paul says, man, if you'll get this, that's what your focus is going to be. Yeah, you got to go through the now. Yeah, you know, Georgia beat Clemson. Oh. Yay, woohoo, you know, or uh, depending on who you are. And you know, the thing is, is you got to go through it right now. But not, it's not even worthy to compete compared. Can you imagine being holy and without blemish? Ephesians 1, he says that you're holy and you're without blame. Wow. That's who you are right now, though. All right, where are we at? Romans 8. So those questions are designed to grip your heart. They're designed to assure that you have the proper perspective on our suffering. So in, in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? How do we know that God is for us? Okay? There are four ways in the passage that we, are, that we know how God is for us. And I want to look at them and then we'll be... And then, We'll pick back up in this and we'll keep going next time. The first one is in verse 28 to verse 30. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified whom he justified them he also glorified again all of that is past tense all of that is done it's a done deal in God's mind okay the moment you trusted him you became the called by the way how are you called second Thessalonians 2 you're called by our gospel you hear the gospel, the word of your salvation, the gospel of your salvation. You trust Christ. He seals you. He blesses you. He baptizes you. He circumcises you. He seals He does all of that to you. And you know what he says? You're mine. And you know what? I have a purpose for you. So how do we know that God loves us? How do you know that God is for us? Our participation in his eternal purpose it's right there remember what's his purpose Ephesians 1 verse 10 that in a dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together all things um, I, you know it's back under I think and uh, that he might gather together and one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him there's his purpose verse 11 says in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, there it is, after the counsel of his own will. Hey, we got a purpose. We're a part of it. So how do I know that God's for me? First, 
I participate in his eternal purpose. Chapter 8, verse 32. Here's the second one. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God's grace is so for us. He did, you know, he, his active, he actively did something for you. He did something to you, but he did something for you. What did he do in verse 32? What did he do for you? He provided the answer to your sin problem. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for what? Us all. See, his grace... By the way, he did it freely, too. Freely give us all things. It's his grace provided the answer to sin. Number three, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is it? Is he that condemneth? It is God that died, ray yather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? who also maketh intercession for us. The number three is that God, Paul, Paul says, you know, you want to see how much God has loved you? Look at his justice. When, when God died for you, do you know what his justice said? When you trusted his cross work, his activity at Calvary, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what verse 34, verse 34 saying, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is what? Risen again. Never forget the resurrection. Okay? He was, what does chapter 4 of Romans say over there? The last verse of chapter 4. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. 425, Just, resurrection, justification, it's paid for. You know what God's justice says? I'm satisfied with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son. And because you trusted, you're a sinner. You're no good, dirty dog, dog, dirty, rotten, so-and-so. But because you trusted him, God's justice now says, I'm satisfied. You've met the requirements. You've met perfect righteousness. Follow that? All right, chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of who? The love of Christ. Verse 37, the end of that verse. Through him that loved us. Verse 39, the end of the verse. Separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fourth area on how we know that God is for us, is that he what? Loved us. Three times he loved us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That loved us and the love of God. His love was for you. So his eternal purpose is for us. His grace is for us. His justice is for us. And his love is for us. So that's why I said he's not a cheerleader. This is his activity. And you know what? None of it compares 
Don't take suffering and try to compare it out with any of that. It doesn't even belong in the same breath. (laughs) So he starts in verse 31. What do you say? What shall we then say to these things? Boy, (coughs) what do you say to that? What do you say to the his love and grace and justice and purpose is all for you? What can you say to that? There ain't nothing you can say to that. The these things. Verse, verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? The context there is verse 28, 29, and 30. It's the suffering impact. It's the hope. Verse 24, it's the help. Verse 26, it's the purpose. Verse 28, what do you say to this? Verse 32, he's given us freely, given to us all things. What do you say to this, guys? What, what are you thinking? How does this impact you? How does it move you? How does it motivate you? When you think about his eternal purpose, Ephesians 1, verse 9, 10, and 11 there, what, how does that impact you? Here's his purpose, and we participate in it. And his purpose, and it, his, it includes you. So much so that over there in Ephesians 3, verse 10, where we're at in the second hour, what do we do? We impact out into those heavenly places out there. Right now in time, we influence the angels. And we teach them. You see, God's consumed with what's happening in eternity. <clears throat> That's why I said, he, by the way, he does care if you're happy or not, but he doesn't care. It's not his priority, okay? So I, earlier I said that, you know, I'm clarify that. I'll get emails. God loves me. No kidding, you know? It doesn't mean he, you know. Because, <laughs> by the way, usually when Christian dumb out there says that he wants us to be happy, what is that? Healthy and wealthy. And that ain't on the ticket. (laughs) Okay. If it was, then we'd all be swimming in wheelbarrows full of $100 bills. Okay. What do you say? Are you uh, 831? uh, By by the way, go over to, well, uh, Romans 831. What shall we then say to these things? Are you consumed with this? Or are you consumed with what's going on in life? Which one's got you? Because verse 18's told us the suffering of the present time is not what? Worthy to be compared. It doesn't even belong on the same scale, but it is. Because it's you. What consumes you? In verse 31 he says, If God be for us, who can be against us? There is someone against us. And the... And if they are against us, think about this. You and I are in his eternal purpose. We're participants of that. There are adversaries against us. So then the adversary is ultimately against the eternal purpose of God, isn't he? Yeah. That's why in Ephesians 6, he's going to lay in on you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Spiritual wickedness in high places. See that wickedness out there and those principalities and powers, all that out there. We focus there. 
What's he shooting at us? Darts and fiery darts. And we'll look at that one day. It's very fascinating. You know, people think that's a bow and arrow. Because you know what they've got? They've got the devil as a pitchforked guy with horns and a pointy tail. And he's got a bow and arrow. Now, he is an archer, by the way. The four horsemen, one of them is an archer. But those fiery darts is, that, is this stuff we're talking about in Romans 8 here. It begins to consume you. There is an opposition. Don't think you're just going to have a life of ease. Now, you might because of decisions you make. That's why Paul in 1 Timothy 6 tells the people that are rich, them that be rich. There are people that, you know, every, the Midas touch. Touch it, turns to gold. There are people like that. Me, I touch it, it rottens in the field. <laughs> you know, I don't have the Midas touch, you know. But the thing is, is, hey, okay, if that's your personality, that's how you can do, then here's some things for you to think about. Follow that? Verse 31, in light of all of this, how are you going to respond? How are you going to react? How are you going to think about it? God's for you, not in a cheerleading role, but rather in actively equipping you, actively causing you to be able to stand against the adversary because there is someone that's against you, okay? Now, time's up. We'll pick back up in verse 31 and move on down through some of this. Seven questions specifically to get you to that more than conquer mentality. That's who you are already. It's just not up here sometimes because we're over here. We're digging in the sandbox rather than out living on the treetops where we're supposed to be. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for the exhortation of victory that we're to have in our lives and in our thinking. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.